0: Hey, hey, welcome to the Weekly Hoddle with Shibs, where I bring you weekly Bitcoin adoption news and interviews from experts in the space. This week, I am honored to be joined by the hardworking and incredibly articulate creator and host of the Coin Stories podcast, Natalie Brunel. She's also an Emmy award-winning news journalist and host of the Hard Money series and a leading voice in the Bitcoin industry. In this episode, we really dive into Bitcoin and its part in the American dream and the hope it's providing millions of people around the world. If you're enjoying this content, please like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. And also check out last week's episode with Jeff Booth if you hadn't had the chance already. Hi Natalie, welcome to the Weekly HODL
1: hi thank you so much for having me it's been a couple of months now since i first met you so it's nice to see you
0: yeah absolutely nice to see you too i uh i first wanted to start off and say that uh you know we had our cpi print again today 9.1 so you get about six and a half years before your uh before your purchasing power has been cut in half <laughs> How are you feeling about mm-hmm. that
1: yeah, you know, I'm going to be honest, um I was surprised that it the you know, demand destruction that they've been uh doing over the last couple of months hasn't really worked, right? Uh and inf- I thought inflation would at least come in either consistently around the same level or have dropped a little bit as the result of everything sort of bleeding out in every uh, part of the market, but wow, now 9.1 was surprising and it just goes to show, you know, how bad of a situation that they've created and I think I tweeted um you know, we're 9.1% further down the road to serfdom. Uh, so it's really bad. You know, this is affecting people in real Life in their grocery store when they hit the gas station. But I just want to remind people too, the CPI print is BS. It's not the real number. It's a completely manipulated basket of goods by the government to make inflation seem actually less extreme than it is. And we should look to some of the other sectors like housing and rent and energy. Um, that's the real inflation number. We're in the double digit- digits for sure. And I think it's going to be more painful when it comes to you know what the, tr- the the Fed's going to try to do to get more aggressive. Although they are pretty limited with how much debt we have. So I think we're in for a very volatile next few months.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I tend to agree. You know, those CPI numbers are kind of a lagging indicator of the month anyways. So I would, I would probably expect to see something lower, uh, next month, but we'll, we'll see at the end of the day, you know, it's all compounding anyhow. So, um, unless it's zero, uh, you know, we're not really making any grounds on anything. Um, so, uh, I, I really loved kind of your, your background story. If you could, for the viewers, could you share a little bit about your childhood, your background, your family, you know, where you're from, how how you got to be here?
1: Sure. Uh, so I was born in Poland and I lived there until I was five. So my memories of Poland are are very vague um, and uh And my parents wanted to come here ever since they were young. They wanted to have a chance at the American dream. There wasn't a lot of economic opportunity when they grew up in Poland because it was communist. Um, So communism fell, I think just right before we came, I think it fell in 1989, we came in 1991. And so they wanted to come here. They started over, they didn't know the language. Um, And they really instilled my brother and I with this idea that education and hard work will propel you. And this is the one country in the world where it doesn't matter what your background is, you can make your dreams happen. If you just work hard and get a good education and you're a good person, right? That's, that's the American dream. Although the goalpost seems to be moving every single year because everything gets more expensive. And I never understood why our system was so rigged until I learned about Bitcoin. But, you know, growing up, I just, my family struggled financially. My parents worked multiple jobs. Um, I didn't get my citizenship until I was 18 years old, just in time to go to college. And, uh, after I went to school, I, in high school, my parents were finally able to afford a mortgage and afford their first place. It was just a small town home in the suburbs of Chicago near my, my high school. Um, and so I thought we achieved like the American dream. I remember the, our place was still like small and modest, especially compared to other people who went to my high school. But I was like, oh, this is, you know, we made it. (laughs) Um, I went off to school. I was going to study journalism, which I did and boom, the 08, 09 financial crisis happens and my parents lost their home. And I just remember being just so confused, right? I mean, you see the big banks and the big corporations all getting bailed out by the government and somehow 10 million Americans or more lost their homes, my, my parents included. and they did not recover from that for a while. They had to file for bankruptcy and struggled once again and starting over. And now things are even more expensive. And um, and so I, I had that as sort of like a seed that was planted in my head at that point of just something's, something's wrong with the system. It's not fair. And it's it, uh, the advantage goes to the people at the top and the people close to Washington as opposed to the little guy. My parents are the little guy. And I set off for a career in journalism um, and I worked my way up the very traditional Path Because just as I was leaving college was the beginning of that transformation toward digital. But I went down the very traditional TV path. I worked at a tiny station and then a middle-sized station, and then I eventually made it to national and ended up in a top 10 market. Um, and while I was a reporter, that was also, I think, an interesting experience that also led me closer to Bitcoin because I was witnessing these problems metastasize in, in our society and just get bigger and bigger. When every single year or four years or two years, whatever election I was covering, you know, local or national, people would come in and say, I can fix it and I've, I'll spend the money on this. And the, that was the, the bad guy. And I've got the right answers. And yet every year I'd be back reporting on the problem getting even worse and the elected officials getting promoted. And there's no consequences for our, any bad policies. And I was Like, wow, this system is really messed up. Um, And I saw kind of in real time, a decline of the middle class, which is reflected in the statistics. Like the middle class used to be the majority of the American society, over 60%. It's fallen very quickly to the 40 range, the forties. And the people at the very top are gaining a bigger and bigger slice of the pie of wealth in this country. And there's a very real reason why it's happening. And so I would see these problems kind of unfolding. I would report on them. I felt like, every every person that i would interview who was like the little guy i felt like that's my family that i'm reporting you know yes. that's just suffering this like stuff and they don't know why and and then in 2017 i learned about bitcoin and i didn't go down the rabbit hole right away because i was stubborn and stupid and i didn't pick up the bitcoin standard and, and a mentor of mine was like read this book and i was like i'm busy um <laughs> and uh so everybody's I too busy anything. to read yeah, Everybody's
0: too busy to it. read.
1: I was like skeptical. I'm like, oh, I could lose all this. But I will say I give myself credit because I did put money into Bitcoin, not really understanding it. But I was like, oh, maybe this is the cool new thing. Um, So I put money in, but I I didn't go down the rabbit hole until about two years later when I read the Bitcoin standard. And then that was transformative for me. And ultimately, I didn't expect this to. I didn't expect to change my career. But reading the Bitcoin standard set me on a different path because I finally saw everything I had reported on and also my family's experience experience in a different light and through a different lens and i was like wow i have been so ignorant to the very problems that exist in society and the problem is our money's broken
0: yeah yeah it kind of makes you feel like a lot of other problems in the world are pretty insignificant right when okay. when all of it seems to kind of generate from you know the same problem the the money being broken
1: well know? yeah well you can almost just connect the dots with anything that you see i mean as a reporter I was breaking news and I covered general assignment and I also did investigative, but primarily I would report on the same sort of topics or themes, which was public corruption, civil unrest, increasing poverty, increasing cost of living and all of those things are symptoms of what the problem actually is. So you can be a reporter and there are some great reporters out there who are listing off the facts and saying, you know, this is, you know, this is how much the cost of education is going up. And this is how much, you know, rent is skyrocketing. And this is the guy that was, you know, taking bribes from a developer, all these things I reported on, but why are these problems happening? And unfortunately, because we have such poor financial literacy and we don't have an informed media or You know public when it comes to this stuff people don't understand that it's because of our financial system
0: yeah yeah absolutely so you you at some point you got more or less fed up with kind of what you were doing right and and decided to take the jump and and say hey like if i'm going to be doing this i'm going to be doing it for the right reason i want to make uh the world a better place and you started coin stories right can you tell me a little bit about that and um you know what was the final catalyst there
1: Yeah. So it was a couple things. First of all, coin stories was actually derivative of a previous podcast that I was doing just for fun. It was like a a passion project side hobby and that was called career stories. And that was just origin stories of people who were also in media like me, journalism, TV, film, social media. And I had been doing that for about two years. Then I learned about Bitcoin and my mentor and I, who we just, we just, we discussed the markets a lot, the economy, we're just nerds about all that. And he was the one that gave me the Bitcoin standard. And he said to me at one point, I think it was in 2020 and he goes. You know, why are you like, why aren't you podcasting about this? Why aren't you talking about Bitcoin? It's all, you know, it's what you talk about, what you read about. And I go, that's, that's, that's interesting. You know, I should do a season of my podcast that focuses on Bitcoin names. So that's ultimately how the idea for my podcast came about. Um, But at my job, my last job in journalism, I actually really enjoyed and I felt fulfilled by because I had a lot of autonomy and like, I had a lot of direction in terms of choosing my own stories that I would investigate. And I did some meaningful pieces. One was nominated for a more recent Emmy and, and I, I liked that job, but overall, like as a whole, I felt like media was becoming so polarized and, and people were not fully speaking the truth. They were regurgitating in terms of traditional mainstream mass media they were just regurgitating whatever was coming out of the white house without questioning it yeah. and i felt like i couldn't really even be myself when it came to former colleagues or networks that i used to work work at and i would see the stories and i'm like this isn't the full story you know you're you're not you know uh, even allowing the other side to be heard in some ways or you're just like regurgitating what some of these agencies are putting out that i saw more as pr as opposed to facts and it, it was it was hard because i was always t- taught when I was young. And like, when I grew up watching the old anchors and when I studied journalism, that Journalism is that fourth branch of government that we need to hold public officials feet to the fire. We don't just listen to whatever they're saying and spew it like it's fact and propaganda. We really have to take the time to analyze. And, and instead, I just saw media splintering off into like red and blue and you can't even be in the middle. Um, (laughs) and I I was, so I was feeling frustrated about it, like more from a macro lens, but I actually did like my last job. I liked my last boss. Um, he's a Bitcoiner and, But I had the opportunity with Coin Stories to do something that I thought – I was more, I was just in general, more passionate about, and I thought I could reach more people. Uh, I yeah. thought that if I dedicate my time to really educating people about Bitcoin, speaking truth about some of the policies that I think are just garbage that we're, you know, doing instead of being very neutral and reporter-like about it, I just felt like I could reach more people and make more of an impact. So yeah, I jumped out of the plane without a full parachute and I I built it on the, on, I'm still building it on the way down. So, um, you know, it's been a good decision. I'm more passionate about this. And I feel like I'm reaching a lot more people. I'm grateful that I've been able to monetize it. The bear market's tough. I'm not going to lie it's tough for all of us. I was certainly up there with a lot of people in the 50, 60 K range, you know, putting in, you know, hundreds here and hundreds there. So like, I get it and I, it's, it's painful, but I think in the long run, we'll all be happy. And I'm just bear markets, I think are really great for building. And so what I'm doing is just building for when the bull market returns.
0: Yeah, it, it truly is a good time to build, right? Like the last thing you want to be doing is staring at the price as it as it kind of plummets due to decisions that the Fed makes, you know, um, and, and going back to your comment about regurg you know, the regurgitation of news. Um, I, I, I never felt like I was so studied up on something that I would kind of like, you know make nasty faces when I hear like certain headlines and things like that but it's been tough to kind of swallow you know the the Fed talking about inflation over the last couple months and trying to understand that like you know they're basically just trying to not get people to freak out uh, about this stuff while they you know slowly do their best to um, you know do whatever it is that they're trying to do at the end of the day Uh, apparently they haven't run the math but um, yeah so What uh, what was it about like Bitcoin specifically like obviously you know you talked a little bit about your experience, but what were like the qualities of Bitcoin um, that ultimately resonated to you to have you kind of on this line of kind of like a big like a Bitcoin maximalist.
1: Yeah. So, you know, growing up with parents who would tell stories about what it was like under communism, I think had a huge impression on me. This idea that freedom is really important. Economic opportunity is really important. The idea that a government can't control too much or confiscate something from you because, you know, social mobility basically didn't exist in Poland under communism. And people, my mom would tell me stories of people waiting in lines for basic necessities. I mean, communism has never worked. It just hasn't. And I feel it was really interesting to see my parents over the last couple of years, look at what's happening in our country and basically say, we're headed in that direction of the, of the kind of government that we wanted to leave. And meanwhile, actually their peers and their counterparts that stayed back in Poland, they're seeing their government actually go in the opposite direction and become more free. So, you know, it kind of, I I mean, my dad at one point questioned, he was like, should we have stayed there because things are different, which is fascinating to kind of hear that, that, um, that take. But, you know, I think it's just the ideals of, freedom and sovereignty and the fact that we would you know essentially decouple money from power and and it puts a really big spotlight on this system that's been created and recreated over you know generations where ultimately very few people are in control and have the power of the money and the people who are closest to them get the biggest advantages and everybody else is kind of left to toil and you know pick up the scraps and fight among one another for them and it gets worse and worse every time we come to the end of one of these, you know, debt or fiat cycles. And so for me, I, you know, I think also it's just the idea that my parents came here for the American dream and the American dream espouses this ideal that like, you can come from any background. And if you work hard, you can give yourself a good life and you can provide for your family. And right now I feel like that's Gotten so hard. Like, yes, in theory, it's still possible, but there are so many more roadblocks. And you, you know, it's better if you have access. It's it matters who you're close to and it matters if you're politically connected. And I don't think we should live in a world like that. I think we should live in a world where government is smaller and more accountable. They can't just create money out of thin air and hand it to their friends and corporations that are too big to fail and get bailed out by the taxpayer. There should be more accountability, there should be more responsibility, there should be more just value. in general, I feel like we're leading down, a, we're going down a path where we're losing value in many aspects of society, not just our money. Um, so that's why Bitcoin really stood out to me. I felt like through technology, we can achieve some of these values that I think our country was founded on. And I certainly don't think that it fixes everything or fixes everything overnight because we still have human nature and different motivations that drive us. But I do think that it levels the playing field and gives more people access so that the system doesn't feel so rigged and so many people don't feel so left behind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not so obvious to people in the United States. Right. But when you go out and and the further you get out from the Western world, you know, it's quite obvious, um, how important it is for, you know, banking, the unbanked, allowing people to hold onto their, you know, their value and things like that. So, um, One of my favorite portions of of Bitcoin and one of the reasons I, you know, created this is that Bitcoin is like hope to me in this crazy world that you kind of just described, you know, where we're kind of losing, um, you know, losing our purchasing power, losing the American dream. Um, So what is is hopeful about Bitcoin to you for the future? You know, when you look five or 10 years down the road, um, you know, what does it look like to you?
1: Yeah, so that's a great point, because I really do see Bitcoin as hope, and it's really changed my mentality. So going back a little bit to my news career, I have to say that when you work in news, um, especially as a reporter who's on the front lines with some on some of the biggest tragedies that our country has faced, it really gets to you. I mean, it drains your mental health, and it, it makes you feel like everything around you is bad, because what does the news cover, right? We have a saying in news called, if it bleeds, it leads, and, mm-hmm. um, and really, it just taps into the voyeurism that exists in our in humanity, where we like to we turn our heads at the car wreck and we just we, we like thrive off of this negativity and, and negative stories. And it it impacts you when you see that all the time. And so I have to say that for the last couple of years that I was a reporter until I really went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, I was feeling, hopeless about the future in the sense that I felt like things are just going to continue to get worse. Um, We're going to get more and more polarized. We might be on the brink of some sort of like civil war. Um, There's going to be more civil unrest, more homelessness. You know, people are shifting where they live as the result of, uh, you know, what's happening to cities across America that were once beautiful, prosperous cities, including my own Los Angeles. A lot of people have left recently. Um, And so I just, I just felt like, gosh, we're, we're, I can understand why people in my generation, millennials are looking at the future and going, I I don't even see how I can afford to have a family, um, you know, like two people working two six figure jobs almost is not enough in some places. And, and when I learned about Bitcoin, it transformed my whole view because I felt like now there is something to fight for because we have this parallel system that we can peacefully usher people into and onto that is based on this concept of saving once again and value and th- the real fundamental things that make up an economy as opposed to manipulated interest rates, manipulated currencies, debasement, and just this really like uneven platform that I think our economy has been based on for, for decades now with the US dollar pegged as like the, you know, the global reserve currency and we've in, uh, exported our inflation all to all these other countries. so. I do see it as like the ultimate beacon of hope for a more prosperous future for a future where we can afford to have families and where your home maybe doesn't have to be your savings account anymore. Or you don't have to become a day trader on the side to take the money you already earned in your first job and try to gamble it in a, a portfolio that someone manages because that's the only way you can beat inflation. Um, I just think we need a reordering. We need a new financial system that's more inclusive and that, that you know returns the power to the people from the people that the very few at the very top, the elites, and I. I think that Bitcoin will do that. It might take a bit, but it'll do that.
0: Yeah, very, very well said. So, in your in your journeys, you've gotten to interview some unbelievable people, some real thought leaders. Um, what was like the most memorable interview that you had with a Bitcoiner, and for what reason?
1: I am so grateful that so many of these big names talked to me when I was just, I had no followers. Um, And I have to say, (laughs) yeah. The one, the one thing that's great about the fact that I was a reporter before is it teaches you to be so persistent. And like, I got so many doors slammed in my face because on, (laughs) on, on someone's worst day, right? Like some shooting happened or something horrible. I would have to knock on this family's door and ask them to talk to me on camera, a stranger. And, and it's, so you learn to be told no, but you also learn how to ask very nicely. And, um, And so I just took a chance and I started messaging these people that I would listen to their interviews or podcasts or read their books. And I, you know, I came from a very authentic, genuine background where I'm passionate about Bitcoin. I wanted to learn more and I just wanted to hear why they had so much conviction and hear their backstories, because I've always been really inspired by origin stories and rags to riches and how people came to success. So. I'm so grateful that people like Michael Saylor and Safedine and Preston and Jeff, like all these big Bitcoiners have said yes to me. And I would say each one has been a really special interview. My most popular interviews have been with Michael Saylor. Um, So you guys clearly, you guys clearly love him. Uh, So he, he was um, truly an honor to talk to you multiple times because he's so smart. I learn a lot from him. Um, You know, Lynn Alden was fascinating to talk to because of her background. Like I didn't know until I researched her and then asked her about it, that she was homeless when she was young. And that really informed the way that she viewed money and the markets. And, and she's just brilliant. And I think we're so lucky to have her. Um, Preston's background, Jeff Booth's back, I mean, all of them. I, I, can't, I can't choose. You can't um, pick one. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I would just say Michael Saylor just because, um, you know, I just think that he's so well spoken and his analogies are so powerful when it comes to Bitcoin. And he's someone that actively like if he goes on an interview, I watch sometimes I just like take some notes because I my brain doesn't work the way that his does. So I have to learn from him.
0: Yeah, I was just honestly, uh, on a personal note, I was thinking the other day, there are some people that do an amazing job with analogies. And I'm like, I've got to take a course on just (laughs) (laughs) like just get get a whole list of analogies that I can use in kind of every different situation. Um, It's a talent for sure. For sure. Um, So I I created this show uh, in general because I didn't. I, I didn't have any Bitcoin friends, you know, I didn't have anybody that I really knew that was a Bitcoiner. Um, you know, I went down the rabbit hole a couple of years uh, back and, and just started reading as much as I could. And nobody understood what the heck I was talking about. So I created the show to kind of get closer to um the community. And once I started going to like Bitcoin meetups, uh uh, you know, Chicago bit devs yeah. and, and all these different uh, groups, I found out like I absolutely love and enjoy being around people that kind of have this similar mindset. Can you can you kind of expound on on that mindset and what it's like to be around people that are kind of thinking in that hopeful, you know, that same hopeful way?
1: Okay. Yes. I actually, I love this question and topic because um, again, I liked my last news gig, but on the macro level of news, because I was a very big news consumer, I would watch shows and I would just be like, oh, my God, I think I'm like one of I, I'm like, I can't I can't I can't, v- I can't express any of my views because I'm just I, I'm i clearly one in a million who thinks the things should be going in a different direction or wants yeah. to say certain things. And I can't I would just watch, you know, the mainstream media and I'd be like, wow, I. I'm different. Like there's something different about me (laughs) because I don't agree with this or I question this or whatever. And then I found the, like the Bitcoin community and I was like, oh my God, all these people view things the same way I do. They value the same things that I do. They want to like make the system more fair. They understand why the system is unfair. They question these things. They, they're willing to, you know, kind of go against the grain. They, you know, they have really interesting takes on even our food. The fact that like, I love what uh-huh. Safidine wrote in the Fiat Standard about how our food industry has created so many of the problems that exist with our healthcare system, like obesity and, you know, people with the seed oils and the sugar and this and that. And it's like my mom and I used to talk about this all the time because in Europe, we kind of have different, I don't know behavioral patterns when it comes to food and yeah. production of food and all that and like i used to never be able to talk to people about this cuz they'd be like no if it's on the grocery store shelf and it says this it's it's fact it's healthy the food pyramid whatever and i'm like no they're lying to you I'm like yeah,
0: the food yeah. pyramid <laughs> it,
1: it's like it, it's like sometimes you feel like a conspiracy theorist or something yeah. and then you go you find the bitcoiners and like i find bitcoiners to be the smartest most like naturally skeptical about the information at large that's coming at you they do thoughtful research they question things they they bring about interesting articles and points and I I don't know. And some came from a Republican background. Some came from Democrats. Some came from, you know, anarchist background. Like it's a mix. It's this mix of everybody from different countries and backgrounds. And I don't know. I just find it so inspiring. I just love Bitcoiners so much for that reason. They're so um, passionate and smart. And they inspire me to learn about so many different topics that I never even, you know, wanted to delve into before Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, you almost feel like you're so far behind constantly because there's yeah. all these articles coming out about things. You're like, I never even thought to study that, you know, yeah. like uh, mm-hmm. time to go down that rabbit hole, I guess. But yeah. w- one, uh, one thing that's always comforting to me being around these people is knowing that like, you know, I, I, I don't plan to ever bite off more than I can chew as far as like o- ownership of, of, of Bitcoin. Um, but if something was to ever happen, right? And, uh, you know, pro- protocol breaks, something happens, right? Bitcoin goes to zero. I know that I now have like hundreds of very, very intelligent friends that are going to shift uh, towards something else uh, that's good for humanity. So like, it's like you always know you have a place, uh, you know, surrounded by these people. It's kind of a comforting feeling.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think I tweeted this a long time ago, but I feel like when I found Bitcoin in this community, it kind of felt like home. I felt like I have very similar values and I just really appreciate the conversations that I've had and the kind of mentors I've been able to bring on and friendships that I've been able to create. I mean, I'm just, I mean, the fact that I can say, I call Jeff Booth a friend, I call Preston Pish a friend. I'm just like, I, I call Michael Saylor a mentor. like. I I mean, and that just happened because I studied Bitcoin and I reached out to them and I and I started these conversations. And like, it's just amazing. This community is so welcoming. And if you have good intentions, you can make things possible that you never thought were possible. So,
0: yeah. yeah. Speaking of making things possible that you never thought were possible, you've got your own news network now. (laughs) Yeah. Congratulations. It's, it's,
1: a, it's a show,
0: but yeah, maybe it'll be a news network. <laughs> yeah, so tell me tell me about the show or tell everybody about the show who hasn't seen it yet and, and yes. the purpose of it, it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, super excited. This was months in the in the making. It's called Hard Money. It's produced by Swan Bitcoin and Bitcoin Magazine. It's a weekly show that combines headlines about both Bitcoin and global economic stories, and then it always has an interview and an original report. And I'm super super proud of it. Um, we, like I said, we've been working for months. We've traveled to El Salvador and different parts of the country to try to get some interviews and stories going ahead of the the production and the launch of the show. But you know we. Really really felt like there was a gap in the market where, okay, if you like Bitcoin, you're probably on Bitcoin Twitter, right? Or you read articles that come out, maybe you listen to podcasts. But as far as news programs go, there's really nowhere for you to get information that bridges the gap between what's happening in our economy and what you get from mainstream news. And Bitcoin and everything that's like developing in the space. So we have the CNBCs who you know are very skeptical about Bitcoin and they cover stocks. We have the CNNs and MSNBCs and um, and Fox News Channel and all the local affiliates that cover kind of general news. And then we have Bitcoin Twitter and Bitcoin podcasters. Like, how do we kind of combine all of that into one and make it something that provides value to a community of people who are both already into Bitcoin, but people who might be curious and could be kind of encouraged to come down the rabbit hole. So um so that's the goal. I I wanted a show that covers what's happening specifically with Bitcoin, but also mm-hmm. talks about inflation, federal, Fed policy, cost of living, has great interviews with amazing voices that are in Bitcoin and and in financial markets, uh, and has cool unique stories. Cause I was always a storyteller. That's one of the reasons why I was a journalist. So I hope people check it out. It's called hard money show and it's every Thursday at 4. PM Pacific, 7. PM Eastern.
0: It's, it's so good. I'm, I'm so happy that, uh, you're able to do that. They're really fun to watch. Yeah. thank you. Um, so in our little subgroup, our, our culture, everybody's always diving down new, new rabbit holes and learning new things. What, what is on your dockets right now? What are you learning or what are you reading about? Um, you know, what's got your, your, your extra attention right now?
1: Uh, that's a great question right now. I'm trying to learn more about two areas that I would like to discuss more publicly or write about. Um, and those two areas are really how our food system has been impacted. Uh, I've always been interested in just health. Uh, I think again, like I saw a very big difference culturally between my family and my peers when I immigrated to the U S just in terms of like what we would eat. <laughs> yeah. And I always, by at the time, it's funny when I was younger and I didn't know or understand, it's so easy to be uh, kind of um, pulled toward that group think or whatever they're putting out in the media and in, in commercials and all that. My mom would always say like, that's not healthy. You know, there was like a fat food craze, my fat free phase. My mom's like, don't buy anything that says fat free like <laughs> yeah. fat fat is good for you and i was like why is my mom saying that fat is good for you but like at school i'm being taught that fat's bad for you you know it's like yeah. and i'd be like i'm confused my mom's like you know and uh, and we like our sugar my mom would still buy everything that she could imported from europe or poland because like our sugar is made out of beets like I have Polish sugar to this day. I only consume Polish sugar. It's made out of beets. It's not made the same way that American sugar is. It yeah. doesn't have the same chemicals. Um, whenever things would be frozen or have preserved, my mom would be like, "Don't eat that," and and it wasn't until I was older that I started to look into the fact that even if it's being taught in nutrition schools, or even if it's like on commercials or whatever, it's not necessarily true. There's, there's, there might be a reason why they're trying to sell you something. And just because the whatever CDC or the FDA or whatever branch of the government says that something's good for you, it might not be, you have to kind of question it. So I'm digging more into the food, science aspect i sometimes retweet things that are posted about like the the change in how like food ingredients um were used including like at mcdonald's right they they used to cook the f- French fries, and tallow, and, leaf tallow, and then yeah. they changed it and like how seed oils affect. So I don't know. I'm very interested in that. I'm learning about that. And then also just energy. Cause I think that's going to be a growing conversation. And when I go on the news, I want to be as informed as possible talking about electricity, environmental impact, the more that this ESG narrative kind of takes off. Uh, so I'm learning about energy as well. And it's very overwhelming. <laughs>
0: Yeah. The, the, the FUD is unbelievable. Uh, is, is there any particular FUD that you hear that, that triggers you? Like, I know there's some people that like all of it kind of triggers me, but there's specific things more, more than others. Is there anything, uh, that you hear?
1: Well, I think the one that's really the most dangerous and concerning to me right now is this idea of certain economic decisions being made for this, you know, uh, kind of, woke altruistic climate initiative that people really it's 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 under this guise of being wonderful and saving the planet when really it just like takes over control it takes over capital and and really harms i think the base layer of our economy and we're seeing it play out with some of the things like with the dutch farmers and just around the globe right it's this narrative of we're good and we care and we're saving the planet and it's like, no, you're just taking over. You're like literally putting your iron fist on top of things. Um, and so that concerns me the most, but again, I think that we really need to be educated and thoughtful in how we respond to that because, Guess what? Like I want to save the planet as well. I want the planet to be healthy and thriving, and I don't want to destroy it with anything that we do with Bitcoin or anything in our economy. Um, but so I, I think it takes a little bit of research and 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 coming up with intelligent arguments and and thought points that I'm still working on because that does it does it just really concerns me. And younger people are so, uh, I think uh, you know, they're vulnerable to listening to these narratives based if they're cloaked in certain words. Right. And so the idea of just environmental, social, whatever wellness, and it's like, we need to dig a little bit deeper because it's not necessarily what it looks like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. Um, and, and super dangerous to your point, as far as like, it's easy to rally around saving the earth. Right. So, (laughs) I am. so to change uh, tunes a little bit more, I'd be, be remiss if I didn't ask you about this, but um, why aren't there more women and women's faces in in Bitcoin and in investing? Do you have any opinion? I, I love having you on the show because you're a great representative uh, for both men, women and Bitcoiners. But uh, do you have any opinions on that or or any feelings about that?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, like I'm trying to do what I can to encourage more women to come in because there is this disparity. I would, you know, if you go to any Bitcoin event, you will see it. I went to the first Bitcoin conference and I swear (laughs) it was like 90% men and 10% women. Um, It's changing. It's growing. I, you know, women, I think, look to other women and we we love that sense of community. So the more women that come in, the more that they will pull other women in. But I think when you ask, like, what's the reason? Bitcoin is this intersection of finance. Technology, gaming a little bit, you know, people with those original tokens having value, gaming, computer science, engineering, all of these fields already were dominated by men. And, you know, we could get into why that is. I think Jordan Peterson once put out a video that I found to be fascinating and accurate in which he said that the male brain, you know, likes to work on things like fixing things, tinkering, building. And so men are more drawn to things like engineering. Women are more um, apt to be interested in people as opposed to things. So they would want to go into something like communication or nursing or whatever. And I remember posting that video on Instagram and I got I, like it was controversial. Like people yeah, are sure. mad that I posted that and they go, it's not true. I'm like, okay, whatever, it's fine. But for whatever reason, those five industries that I named are more dominated by men. And so naturally I think that they found Bitcoin before women, but that doesn't mean that it's too late. We want a seat at the table. I want women to have, I think this is like a financial revolution that gives them, the possibility and opportunity for generational wealth accumulation. So I want women to be a part of that. And I'm encouraging my girlfriends to be a part of it. But, you know, sometimes it just feels a little overwhelming because it feels like such a technical thing. It feels like you have to learn how to put together a car engine or fix a car. And it's like, no, ladies, it's just, (laughs) here's a car. You get to drive it. It's really cool. (laughs) You know, you don't don't have to build the engine. Just appreciate the fact that you can drive the car. So we're, we're, you know, I'm working on that.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, I, I think, um, you know, I think it's good for the space and everything that you do is uh, amazing. You're so articulate. The way you, thank you know, you. bridge bridge the gap uh, on certain conversations is amazing. It's great to hear. So uh, thank you for all the work that you do. Um, you. I have one last question for you. And Thanks. Jeff Booth was the first to receive this question and you'll be the second. But okay. I. Uh, I am in the elevator industry and I sell elevators. So give me your thirty-second elevator pitch on Bitcoin.
1: Oh gosh, okay. So I'm gonna imagine this is for an audience that doesn't even know what Bitcoin is. Okay, Perfect. Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a digital money and it is a growing technology network, similar to the internet. It is the internet of money, but the great thing about it is it was designed to decouple money from power. So no longer will we live in a system where very few people have access to all the money and control all the money and control all the capital and opportunities that go with it. Whereas everyone else, the lo- losses are socialized, and people have to fight amongst each other for whatever's left over. We have a system that we can rebuild in which everyone has equal access, everyone's included, and we can rebuild a, a system that's more fair and based on real value.
0: Bravo! Killed it. I-
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate you so much for coming on the show. Uh, like you mentioned, you know it. Uh, the great part about this industry is that people are willing to share their time and spread the information. So it means a lot to me that uh, you you spent your time with me here today. Uh, And good luck to you with everything on with both coin stories and uh, and hard money.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And I'll see you in Chicago soon. I hope.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Natalie.